today on the Ward Preacher Podcast. Coming back from exile, consider your ways and the coming of Christ. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Ward Preacher Podcast. Our Come Follow Me curriculum for this coming week will bring us to Haggai and Zechariah. Uh, Let's go ahead and talk a little about um, the historical context behind these books. Uh, This was uh, after the Babylonian exile. During the end of that, uh, Persia conquered Babylon and Judah was permitted by King Cyrus of, uh, of Persia to return back to Canaan. Now we've talked about a couple of books, Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, that were also set at this time. Um, These prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, were also contemporaries of Ezra and Nehemiah. And some of the same themes that we saw in those books, we will also see in the books of these prophets. Uh, After decades away from their homes, the people were in a situation where they needed more than just homes. They needed to come back to God. They had been driven from their lands because of wickedness. They needed to return back by prioritizing what was most important. Of course, in Ezra and Nehemiah, you see the, the need to rebuild the temple and then also the walls about Jerusalem We'll see some similar things as we start in Haggai. Okay, let's go ahead and get into some reading. Haggai chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, is, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Okay, vivid imagery talking about the the situation where they came back to this essentially ruined land. This wasn't coming to the the land of milk and honey where things were going to look good. It had been ruined. Uh, And they were going to have to start over. This was a big task. And we have Haggai talking about how Judah should think about their need for God. There's a connection between their poor conditions and the way that they prioritize themselves over the Lord. And that's kind of tough, because even though we've discussed in the past how sometimes good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people, Haggai is emphasizing that those who put the Lord first will be blessed. In other words, because you're not doing good, it's worse for you. 
because you're going through hard times, all the more reason to be obedient to his laws and receive the blessings on which uh, that are predicated upon those laws. Uh, okay, let's uh, continue reading, starting in verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the lands. So again, we have the Lord connecting their difficulties to their lack of obedience as a people. Now, even today, we have those who prioritize the covenants of the temple uh, over other blessings being literally blessed with good things. This isn't just like, you know, a, a superstition. You can literally receive great blessings when you put God first, when you prioritize his covenants and his temple. There's no place on earth that is not made better by a house of the Lord. And enemies of the church who complain about the construction of temples or to try to make the process difficult are literally keeping blessings from themselves. These beautiful structures, even if you ignore the spiritual blessings, these beautiful structures draw to them reverent and faithful patrons who seek to better themselves and increase their connection to Jesus Christ. Consequently, nearby property values always increase. Neighborhoods that surround these, these temples always look better. In the case of large temples, they're used as landmarks and even beacons of light to help guide pilots, drivers, and various non-members to their destinations. The admonition to consider your ways, it's always important. All right, so we, let's uh, do another reading. This is Haggai chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. The most important blessing, in other words, of temple worship is to help us prepare to receive the desire of all nations uh, that was referenced in verse 7 there. The desire of all nations, of course, being 
the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And in the end, that's what brings the promised glory. All right, speaking of the coming of Christ, let's read a little bit more. Uh, this is from the book of Zechariah, chapter 3, and uh, we'll start in verse 1, going to verse 8. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at it. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. All right, this vision of Zechariah is important. So first of all, we have Satan literally trying to resist. This is kind of important. This is one of the few places where we have a reference to Satan himself in the Old Testament. The idea that the devil is real. There is a Satan. Um, absolutely important. He never tires. He acts with a compulsion to fight against the will of God. And we see this in enemies of the church today. In people who have this compulsion to troll the posts of faithful members to lie about Jesus, lie about his prophets, lie about his apostles, lie about his scriptures, and anything else that might lead people to Christ. And they don't even recognize or understand the compulsion they have to reply and try and destroy the faith of others. And sometimes they attribute this to having a desire to free people. But that's really no different than what Korohor said. He was looking out for the people, which wasn't true. He was looking out for himself. And like Korohor, they serve someone who is invested in their destruction. Satan is not your friend. He is real. He's trying to oppose you, and only in the strength of the Lord can we resist him. Also interesting in this passage, the need to change clothing. The whole concept of being clothed appropriately is vital in several places in the scriptures. 
is one of the first bits of knowledge that Adam and Eve gained after partaking of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that they should be clothed. And before leaving the Garden of Eden, the Lord made coats of skins that appropriately covered them. So this is important. The way that we clothe our children and those in need uh, it, and ourselves as well, it directly corresponds to how we receive the Lord. We are commanded to clothe the naked. Uh, the way that we dress ourselves being important uh, includes removing attire that is bad or filthy and dressing in attire that is clean and good and helps us to be better. You may notice that you act a little bit different when you dress a little bit different. It has an impact on your behavior. Ceremonial clothing in temple worship going back to Old Testament times should suggest similar things. We dress differently to reflect unique preparation and devotion for sacred covenants. This was true of Joshua the high priest in Zechariah's vision. It is true for us today. The reward for temple worship is the branch. This is our connection to God. He stands between us and the Father, advocating and interceding on our behalf so that we can truly gain the power that will help us to fulfill our destiny. All right, let's do a little more reading. This is in Zechariah chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, which reads, these are the things that ye shall do. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. And love no false oath. For all these things are things that I hate, saith the Lord. So this is, this is important, the idea of preparing for the temple, dressing appropriately, building the temple, investing in it. All of these things encourage us to be good and true in all aspects of our lives, to avoid wicked tendencies, to be honest and faithful, and to be better. Ultimately, in the end, the triumph of, of the book of Zechariah are his prophecies talking about Jesus coming. So let's look at Zechariah chapter 9. This is verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt the foal of an ass. So, of course, we know that Jesus did come riding on a donkey before his death and resurrection, rode triumphantly uh, into Jerusalem. Uh, we also have a prophecy regarding his betrayal. This is in chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces 
of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now, the context of the fulfillment of this prophecy is uh, important to understand. Judas Iscariot, for thirty pieces of silver, betrayed Jesus to his enemies. And after, he regretted that choice and threw the money at the priests who had paid him and went and killed himself. Knowing that it was blood money and they didn't want to just spend it, they bought a potter's field to bury the dead with this money. This is the context in which this prophecy was fulfilled. Absolutely about Jesus. So it's not just prophecies of his first coming, uh, Zechariah also includes prophecies of his second coming. And we can see this if we look in chapter 14, beginning in verses 1 through 4. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. So this is talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. He will appear and set foot on the Mount of Olives, cleaving it in two, interrupting this battle between all of these other nations and Jerusalem as it's falling. He will save them. Um, if we uh, read a little bit in chapter 12, verses 9 through 11, it reads, And it shall come to pass that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And in that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadadrimon in the valley of Magidon. Okay, so Jesus is personally going to come and destroy those who will seek to kill the Jews. And then when they realize who their Messiah is, they will mourn. There's additional clarity as Zechariah prophesies in chapter 13, verse 6. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. The wounds are the marks of crucifixion. 
Jesus will be recognized for who he is, the true Messiah and Savior. And when he comes, he will establish a peace that has not ever been known on the earth. If we look in chapter 14, verses 6 through 9, it reads, And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall be not clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that the living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Light prevailing over the darkness and even the dead sea being healed with living water. Finally, one uh, last passage, Zechariah chapter 14, verses 20 through 21. It reads, In that day there shall be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord, and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein. And in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So peace prevailing and the Lord being known by all. Because in the end, Jesus returning was always the plan. Even here before his first coming. If we see clearly, we know that Jesus was going to fall, going to be wounded in the house of his friends, and then triumph. Those who are clothed and prepared will be blessed when he comes. And before his return, it is vital that all men consider their ways. We appreciate all the support for the Word Preacher podcast. Next week, we will be looking at Malachi and closing out the Old Testament. There's a ton of stuff we didn't talk about in Haggai and Zechariah. Please study that individually and with your family. And of course, as always, fight on.